0: Welcome to Bookalicious, a podcast where two sisters and sometimes two brothers get together and read books. Chrissy is still out on her cruise vacation, so we are going to be doing a couple of bonus episodes, The line the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this is part one. Hope you enjoy. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. My two older brothers coming in clutch while Chrissy is out cruising around the world
1: what oh, she's doing this. that's not
0: why she, that's, that's why, she why she's not
1: here out. oh my no
0: gosh. no she told me three days five days before she was going to go on a cruise she said i'm doing finals and i'm going on a cruise for three weeks and we won't be able to pod again until january oh my gosh <laughs> and then i said she has a procrastinator and she took high offense to it
2: she clearly does not care about this podcast
0: I know she's the one who told me to do this and I'm like I don't want to call myself a perfectionist because I'm in recovery but once I start doing something I really do want it to do it well so now here I am editing all the episodes and coming up with content for us while she's out cruising cruising around the world
1: so, around.
2: so when do you give uh, when, when do you stop doing the podcast candy
0: I don't know Maybe when we, I don't know, once I become famous and then I don't need it anymore. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My dream is to become a real housewife of something.
2: Would you move somewhere to be a real housewife?
0: No, because we scoped out Chattanooga this past weekend because they are a tax-free state. I mean- income tax free state so we're like maybe we could live there but it smelled too much like poo and i was just like i can't live there for six months or a year all the time you
2: moved to florida
0: there's a lot of reasons not to move to florida we did an insurance quote for jordan and it was fifteen thousand dollars
1: just rent you don't have to own (laughs) just rent
2: why do you can't you move, like, somewhere in the middle of the state, like
1: Lakeland or something? No. Insurance is awful everywhere.
0: Everywhere. You could live in a soda can and you still have to pay $10,000 a year, probably.
1: What I did learn is if you get a newer house, it, uh, it isn't so bad. It's the older homes that, like, they jack it up outrageously.
0: Yeah, they basically want you to just blow down the old homes and put the same exact house on top of it.
1: Dude, for like a five-year period based on the quotes that they give
0: you
1: it's outrageous yeah so, yeah this older home has been around for like 100 hurricanes it has been totally fine but uh we don't trust it anymore guys we gotta get rid of it nope. put a newer home
0: Mm. that's right so what have you guys been up to i haven't spoken to you in a long time jordan
2: have we started like are you including this in the episode
0: we might who knows
1: well, just giving you a heads up, I got till about six o'clock. I got, I got a something
0: hour. <gasps> I got... Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't know either. Well,
1: so,
0: oh, okay. Well, we're going to get right into it. There's no time to learn about what you've been doing, Jordan. And I guess <laughs> we're just going to assume nobody cares. We're going to go right into Bookalytics. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to share my screen. We have been... A little bit on a downturn, a little bit. Um, I think that's because we didn't do a lessons in chemistry episode last week and we wrapped up Elantris finally. And that was actually really fun. Did you listen to the last two episodes, Sam?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm current on the podcast.
0: I was laughing. I was laughing. We had a really good time on Elantris. Okay, but we are at 452 plays. We still have the same Spotify follower count of 17. Um, Our audience size is decreasing a little bit. We're at about 12 listens per episode. So if you're listening now, give Bookalicious the Christmas gift of sharing the pod with your friend. Make them listen to at least three episodes. And if they're not into it by then, dump them. I don't know.
1: You only have to listen to it for a minute, right? For its account. Okay,
0: yeah, but we need consistent listeners. We need not just one listen, lots of listens. If they listen to one minute to every episode, then that's acceptable. That's
1: acceptable, okay. It's only like yep. oh, 20 minutes out of your day. Anyone can do
0: that. That's it. That's it.
1: Don't,
2: don't you think you should be like lying about how many listens you have right now? No. Like that saying you have an audience of 12 people Like, isn't that a downer?
0: I think it's an upper. Because if you're one of those 12 people, you're like, wow, they're talking to me right now. And I am. (laughs) But I did think about lying. I did think about it.
1: Based on locations that you're showing there, you're definitely spreading the word. Because everyone, uh, most views are from Atlanta.
0: Well, that's mostly me. That is mostly me. I'm mostly Atlanta. But... Stone Mountain. That's my girlfriend, Anna. Hey, she's doing great. My girlfriend, Megan, she's kind of fallen off a little bit, but I work with her. So I'm going to send her a note and say, I noticed that you're not listening as much, but we still have our Snellville, Lawrenceville, Marietta, Peachtree Corners, lots of people in Georgia, lots of people in the Texas area. We still have a lot of people there. Um, I don't think we had any new people, unless this is Greeley. I don't know if that was you or Leah, but let's see. Oh, we got a new listener in Oregon from Eagle Point. So hi, welcome. Glad you're here. This isn't as much fun without Chrissy. We got another person in Pennsylvania, Stroudsburg. Never heard of it. Sounds great. If any of you guys would like to write in, we would love to hear from you. And we got a new person in Kansas from Lenexka. Chrissy, she didn't mention this before, but she did an internship in Kansas for a summer and she told me about the world's biggest ball of twine. She said that is in Kansas. Okay. Well, that's all we had for bookalytics. Any comments, Sam, Jordan?
1: I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Yeah. I'm
2: Thank I'm you. I'm excited to see where this goes in the future.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll have 13 audience sides the next time you come in. Oh. We'll see. It depends on your performance today. All right. So I'm going (laughs) to
1: being judged here, Sam.
0: Yeah. By the fans, by our 12 people, all 12 of them. So before we ever do a new book, we have a couple segments. One is called judge a book by its cover. And I know we've all read this book before, but just pretend that you hadn't
2: are you going to share a photo like from Google and we're going to yeah. judge that photo? Cause there's a bunch of different covers of this book.
0: I'm, I'm seeing that, but here's one that feels really old and I think is probably more true to, to what it was. All right. This book here, right there. Oh, so okay. the picture that we're looking at, there are two little girls and they're dancing around a very ferocious lion with a little, Vine flower thing, and they're twirling it around him. So based on this,
2: I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, that that doesn't look like a great book to me.
1: (laughs) No, it it
0: looks like a uh,
1: looks like a very very young children's book, one with like 20 words per page and mostly pictures.
0: Yeah, like see spot run. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't. I don't think I would voluntarily pick this book up and read it. No.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would. Oh, here's another one. Okay, now it's a uh, two little girls, and they're on the lion's back, and they're flying around. <laughs> would you read this book?
2: No, that looks worse. <laughs> I don't like the text. See, this is a terrible podcast segment because the listeners cannot see what's happening at the moment.
0: No, it's a, it's a good one because we put the links. You can look at it. Oh, it's in okay. the show notes.
2: Okay, well, there you go. Look in the show notes. I think this uh, blue cover, the text looks weird. I don't like that font.
1: Well, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz text, isn't it?
0: That's what I was thinking. I,
1: was, I think that was just the, the style back then. That was like the, the hip, edgy font.
0: Yeah, when Andrew and I were in Chattanooga, you can see it's gentrifying. And I was like, the curly fonts are coming. And it's like, you can tell it's a very like distinctive hipster font. And like all like the fancy stores have like the curly script, I think that's what this might have been, in that time period. Okay, well it sounds like we wouldn't have read this.
1: Oh, that one, that one, um, candy, the the middle one right there, yeah. That one is. Uh, now you got the you got the fawns in there too.
0: This is terrifying. It's again the children flying on the back, but now there's these two half naked fawns, and they are circling around the lion. And it looks a little erotic, and then underneath it, it says a story for children.
1: That book would definitely get banned today,
0: just based on the cover. One hundred (laughs) percent.
1: Is there a cover that
2: any of us would read, and not the movie poster cover?
0: That's the movie poster.
2: Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to look at the movie poster cover.
0: No. Mm -mm. C.S. Lewis. Yeah, C.S. Lewis did not invest. Oh, maybe this one, the touring version.
1: Isn't the Turing test if you can tell if you're a human or not? So what would the Turing version be?
0: I don't know.
2: If you go back up, that's the one we had as kids.
0: This one?
2: No, up, higher up. The That yellow one.
0: Oh, this one? Yeah. I might read
1: that one. Oh.
0: Yeah, I might read this one. Well, I guess we did read it. Yeah, so this one has a picture of the yellow doors opening up and it's four little children walking into a wood and you don't have like the weird flying lion component. Mm. And I think it's a lot better. That one looks cool. I would agree with that. Okay, so judge a book by its cover. It sounds like nine times out of 10, we would say we would not read this book except for the one that we did read that we had as children and we probably have a natural affinity to anyway. Okay, Um, so the next segment is me doing a quick dive on who the author is, C.S. Lewis. And Sam, I know you went to seminary school, so you might have additional information. So feel free to interlace if I'm missing out on anything. Okay. Important. All right, so author C.S. Lewis, and C.S. stands for Clive Staple, but he went by Jack, and I can understand why with a name like Clive. And he was born in 1898. He died in 1963. He was best friends with Tolkien. They met at Oxford. And he's best known for the Chronicles of Narnia. And then he also wrote something called the Screwtape Letters and the Space Trilogy. He was born in Belfast, Ireland. So this is before Ireland split into Northern Ireland and regular Ireland. And his mother died when he was really young and his dad was distant and emotionally unavailable. And he became an angry atheist when he was 15 and he fell away from the church, but he came back to it at the age of 32. And that was in the Church of England. And his father had died the year before that. And I saw this article that said Lewis felt really guilty about how he was not very kind to his dad in his adult years. And he felt really guilty about it. And then the next year he was back in the church. Lewis always loved anthropomorphizing animals. So making animals have humanistic traits. I really enjoy doing that too with my own pets, actually. Um, That's kind of how Andrew and I spend a lot of our times pretending what our cats would do if they were people. Mm -hmm. Lewis was fascinated with songs and legends of ancient Scandinavia, which is preserved in Icelandic sagas. So that included Norse mythology, Greek literature, Celtic mysticism, things like that. Um, when he moved to England, he had a lot of culture shock because he thought the accent sounded like demons and the landscape looked bad. Which, fair. Um, so once he was back in the church, he moved away from pagan mysticism to Celtic Christian mysticism. And I had a question mark there. I don't know if you know what that is, Sam. Okay. Do you know what it is?
2: Oh, um, so mysticism (laughs) typically in Christianity is described as a kind of Christianity that allows a lot of things to be mysterious, uh, to be unexplained, right? Uh, A recognition that we as humans can't uh, put all of God in a box and understand what's going on.
0: Oh, I would have never thought of it like that. All right, so moving right along, Lewis, he supported having unity across different denominations. Uh, a lot of people speculate that's because he's from Ireland, and Ireland had the big split into Northern and regular Ireland because of Christian denomination issues, with one wanting to be Protestant and the other one wanting to be Catholic. Um, he went to Oxford for one summer in 1917, but then he went to fight in World War One. And he made a pact with someone that he met in World War I that if either one of them died in the war, the survivor would support the family. And the person that he made the pact with did die. And so Lewis came back and took care of the guy's mom. And I guess he took care of her really well because there was a lot of speculation that they were actually Mm boyfriend-girlfriend. So TBD. We don't know about that. And then he in world war ii i thought this was really interesting so in world war ii lewis wanted to go back and fight in the war but he was 40 years old at that time so they were kind of like you're too old and so he took in children evacuees from london and they stayed with him at his house in the burbs and so i kind of feel like that's very similar to the line and the witch and the wardrobe that initial setting And then there's some other things that he did, uh, but the Chronicle of Narnia is considered a classic of children's literature. The seven novels have sold over 100 million copies in 41 different languages. And the general theme of these books is to contain Christian ideas intended to be easily accessible to young readers. And then he also borrowed a lot of Greek, Roman mythology, as well as British and Irish fairy tales.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if the books were intended specifically to be a trojan horse for um christian ideas i think that christian ideas are so intrinsic to who lewis was when he wrote these that they were a natural mm-hmm. outpouring yeah if, if that makes sense but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that um that he was trying to create some kind of evangelism tract to convert a bunch of i'm glad
0: of you people. said that because when i read that i was like Oh, like, I don't know. It just feels kind of a little bit like propaganda, package it up into a book.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe definitely has, I mean, it's like almost a direct theme, right, of the gospel. And the rest of the book oh, for sure. is more adventure style, where there's like maybe Christian themes, but not really it's not so mm-hmm. in your face, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, I- this book is like, it's it's basically substitute this for that and <laughs> you get the almost the exact same story, right?
2: This is the book with a resurrection in it, right? But I don't think that it. you can just say like, okay, yeah, this is not, how do I want to say this? I think that Lewis, again, is definitely going after like these Christian ideas because these are the things that, are who he is, um, not that he's trying to like, okay, how do I turn the gospel story into um, a book for kids? And part of that is, is that this book originated out of, um, he had this uh, image of a fawn under a lamppost, I think holding an umbrella yeah. in a package. Like that. that was the genesis of this book. And that genesis came when he wasn't a Christian. And so I think that this, the, the it, it naturally kind of very much became um, this story with strong Christian themes and elements, but I don't think that was the origination point. I think that's just who C.S. Lewis is.
0: Which I think, fair enough. Um, but to Jordan's point, I think if you drop this into, what what is the plagiarism thing that you do for school? turn it in
1: uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about know. like the
0: turn it in program I think there mm-hmm. would be a couple things that would get flagged as like hey wait a minute <laughs> I've seen this before because they're especially like the whole right. concept with Aslan feels very very much like direct to Jesus and they talk about how his father lives somewhere else and he's coming in and
2: no, Aslan is Jesus yeah i'm not i'm not trying to say those things aren't there right i'm saying it but the book the start of the book the thesis of the book didn't begin with this christian tract of evangelism to convert kids
0: yes well and that's true so some of my findings on just specifically this book the line the witch and the wardrobe so it was written as a gift for his godchild lucy barfield and it was um originally started with exactly as you said, Sam, the image of a fawn in a snowy wood carrying an umbrella and parcels. And then everything else kind of got built around that. And so I think it probably started off as like, oh, a lot of his like mysticism and Celtic and being interested in anthropomorphizing animals. And then as it grew, it turned more into maybe a, a more religious undertones than he originally started off with.
2: Well, I mean, Lewis was just so steeped in Jesus, right? Yeah. For him to write something is going to naturally play out a lot of those important elements and themes. Because that's just who he is, right? Yeah. My favorite of his fiction books is Till We Have Faces. Oh. Which is uh, a myth retold. It's the Cupid and Psyche myth um much more well known among people who probably went to british boarding school you know and kind of more elite upper crust than you know for us here today but it would be like someone retelling the story of cinderella and he retells it and for a lot of people um it's usually their least favorite of his fiction works because it's like what's going on part of that is people don't know the Original myth. So, if you don't know the original myth, like seeing him do a remix of it is a little confusing. Yeah, because you're not familiar enough with the source material. And then, secondly, it's like if you're coming in for these like overt analogies or allegories of Christianity that you see here in like *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Um, there's strong allegorical elements. Those aren't present till we have faces. But I think that Till We Have Faces, if we were to talk about gospel content or good news about what God is doing for people, I think that Till We Have Faces actually has the most, but it's under Mm -hmm. like six inches of earth and that it's like the literary Mm. technicality of it. It's his best written book.
0: Mm -hmm. And what was that called? Till We Have Faces?
2: Till We Have Faces. It's my favorite.
0: Well, I will have to look into that. But if you guys are ready, since Jordan has to leave in 20 minutes.
2: So here's <laughs> here's something else. Just, I read a book recently called Planet Narnia. And it's this linguist, critical English person who does critical work on stuff. And this person analyzed the inner theme of the Chronicles. And this has been something that a lot of people have kind of made guesses at over the years. Like what is the thread that ties all the different Narnia books together? Is it the seven deadly sins? Right. And each book is one of those sins. Is it, um, some kind of like seven Mm -hmm. virtues? Um, is it in a Catholic sense, Mm. like the seven sacraments? Um, is it, you know, what, what are, because you can see like the Christian themes in it. Right. Um, But is there like a unifying theme to it? And so what the author does, and I am quite Mm -hmm. convinced of based on reading that book, um, Mm. is that the unifying themes are the seven planets out of uh, medieval understanding.
0: Oh, interesting. So what would be the medieval planet for this one?
2: So this is Jupiter, right? Or Jove. If you So it's interesting when you see, um, whenever somebody says the phrase by Jove, right? Like this is a relic of talking about the, now the planets were anthropomorphized, right? They were gods. So it's the god Jupiter or Zeus, I think in the Greek telling of it. If you think Jove, jovial, king, warmth, um, we'll talk about it when we get to this part in the book, but jove is perfectly seen in the character of father christmas Mm. right warm red kingly right jovial right humorous the book planet narnia goes through each of lewis's works and considers the thematic elements and ties them into the medieval understanding which was a big part of what he did in his day job
0: oh interesting
2: he was a linguist
0: well and i'm looking here on wikipedia about zeus and it says that he had seven wives so you know there's probably some connection there too (laughs) i don't know about that (laughs) yeah sure sure but that's all a lot of really good background way more than the wikipedia page had to offer so i'm glad we know that all right, but let's get there into it. Chapter one, the summary is, and I don't know how to say any of these words. The four Pevensey, is that how you say it?
2: Pevensey's? Pevensey. Pevensey children.
0: The four Pevensey children. I in the movies. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. They're traveling to an old professor's mansion in the Burbs to get away from the World War II bombings in the city. And the children see that the kooky professor they're going to be living with. And they're delighted because they're going to be able to do whatever they want this summer. And they start exploring the mansion. And Lucy, the youngest, ends up finding a new world inside a wardrobe. My first question. So we're four siblings, two boys, two girls. Mm -hmm. So when I was reading this as a kid, I always kind of imagined each one of us as one of the siblings. Okay. I don't know if you guys did that. That makes me
2: Am I Edmund or Peter?
0: Well, I was going to ask who do you think <laughs> who do you think you are? Which one do you think you are, and then who do you think everyone else is? And just to give everyone an idea, so Peter, he's the eldest, and I would describe him. He's normally like the leader. Um, if you watch the movies, he's the most handsome um just kind of like in charge and then there's susan she's very like motherly and kind there's edvin there's really nothing nice to say about him except he's a jerk and then there's lucy who's small and nice and very kind
2: yeah um i don't know I, i i can see at my role as the oldest child right like there's like a family level of being the oldest um being a leader in a lot of different ways, but I can also see a lot of Edmund, right? That kind of um he's very Slytherin. Yes. Right. He's he's thinking about himself. He's thinking about um how he can best turn a situation for himself. Um so I don't know I, I can see both those elements in me.
1: I I, I always saw um oh. Pretty much kind of like down the line as far as age, like Sam is being Edmund. Um, I didn't see anyone being Susan though. Yeah. Right. Like I don't think it was <laughs> but Susan's role. But I see both being Edmund.
0: Who was Edmund?
1: <laughs> and Chrissy.
0: <laughs>
1: both me and you. <laughs>
0: That's funny because I I again I think I had the same thing. I couldn't imagine myself as any of them. And I thought that Jordan was Edmund. Sam was Peter and Chrissy was Lucy. I think Sam is Peter and Chrissy is Lucy. Those are like hard and fast. But me and Jordan were kind of like a a mix. Reading this book again, I'm 100 percent Edmund. There's no question. He gets lured <laughs> in to the white witch on the promise of eating desserts. And <laughs> I was like, same, same Edmund. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, but I thought this first chapter after doing like a little bit of research that I did on Lewis, it seems so much that he probably, I could just imagine him now taking in like those World War II um, refugees into his home and just watching them and seeing how they experienced him mm-hmm. as like the old kooky professor. Uh, and it's it's really fun to read it with that perspective.
2: It's It's very biographical, right? Like mm-hmm. in that sense. Like he is definitely the the Professor Kirk character. Yes. Like even down to like the job.
1: Did he write these books or at least uh, I guess outline the books in order of how they are chronologically in the in the series?
2: No, no. Uh the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe is the very first. So all Oh it is it's the first. But so
1: But it's not first chronologically in the in No. The,
2: no it's it's nope. uh the Never. chronologically it goes um uh the magician's nephew uh the lion the witch and the wardrobe the horse and his boy prince caspian the voyage of the Dawn treader the silver chair and the last battle but if i recall correctly all the pevensey books were written first so the lion the witch and the wardrobe followed by caspian followed by Voyage of the Don Treader. And then I, I don't know if the next book was either The Silver Chair or um, The Horse and His Boy, but the last two was The Magician's Nephew at six and the last battle at seven. Okay. That I mean, this is just from memory. I, I don't actually know the publication history. Okay, but
1: this this was Definitely the first book
2: in the series. This was the very first one.
0: So one of the things that I was pulling out on the reread is that as the children are on the way to the mansion, they're like, oh, like, did you see the mountains as we came along in the woods? There's going to be eagles and stags. There'll be hawks, badgers, foxes, rabbits. And they're imagining all of these things. And it almost gave me the feeling that Narnia is a shared delusion among all of the children.
2: Sure. Yeah. What do you th- uh
0: do you think Narnia's real? Do you think it's maybe a shared delusion?
2: Well, Susan thinks it's a shared delusion by the end of the series. Uh just a a playing of kids and what they did. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it's definitely a fantasy and if you you know, it's so like in the category of fantasy, I don't think it's a delusion. I think the way it's presented is that they traveled and ended up in a, you know, far off, not even, far off's not the right word, a different world, right? But if you want to, like, psychoanalyze it and make it all make sense in our universe, well, it has to be a delusion, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or it could be a wormhole.
2: Sure.
0: <laughs> I just couldn't imagine. There- oh, go for it.
2: I was just going to say, there's no... um that this book either it's not a hard sci-fi right like hard sci-fis try and make sense of what's going on or even if you were to take that to hard fantasy like you know George R. R. Martin when critiquing Tolkien's like so what's the political structure of goblins and their currency and exchange rate right like he's interested in kind of the more minutia of how a fantasy world works and I think for Lewis this is very much soft because there's no real um uh calculation you can do for time spent in Narnia and what that means in the outside world
0: so Jordan shared delusion shared delusion or real
1: Um, it's it's what Sam explained. It's it's you, you can't make sense mm. of it at all. Um, it was funny because I was actually thinking I just finished watching a series um, on Netflix, and uh, on the last season they have a uh, wormhole that takes them from planet to planet. And what's funny is, I mean, it's gonna make it's gonna make sense. What's funny is they go from planets that orbit really fast around the the black hole, right? And time space gets warped. And time is different on this planet, it gets, just yeah. like Narnia, right? Things go faster here. And um, their their explanation is a very hard fantasy where they're trying to explain the world. And their explanation is you, you your memories disappear, your memories can't follow through for whatever reason when you go through the wormhole, um, but your body ages and all that does. Narnia is the exact opposite, where when you travel back, yeah, you return physically how you are, but all your memories stay finished,
0: interesting right
1: so that would be a more of a delusional you know they had a hardcore delusional fantasy in the wardrobe right <laughs> <laughs> that went on they, they played through like you know years of their life kind of thing and they all believe it to be true so like if you try to if you had to make sense of it of course it has mm-hmm. to be because there's no no physical way to explain it otherwise
2: the same way that Harry Potter is delusional, right? Like, he never actually goes to Hogwarts because magic isn't real. It's a fantasy story, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just how these things work. But um, what I will say is that I think your question, Candy, is actually addressed in the book. Oh. When the professor is speaking with Susan and Peter Whoa. and breaking breaking down, like, well, so so Lucy right? Yeah. Like, is she a liar or is she mad? Is she having a delusion? Right. Right. Or is she telling the truth? You have three options and it's one of those three, right? Like there's not a a fourth option here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yes, I agree. So the professor, he, he did address it where he says there's one of three options, but the professor doesn't tell you he tells you what he thinks but he doesn't tell you what it is and i think you can still have a differing opinion
1: oh for sure well if you take all the other books as a whole into context people can't have shared Mm delusions right that's not the thing that exists so that must be true in some kind of fantasy world. so you could from that perspective
0: Right. Yes, I I was telling Andrew this because he's read these books too, and he had the same exact. That was his conclusion as well. He said if you could have a shared delusion with the siblings, but the fact that you had other people there would prove that it's real. Now, whether these people communicated with each other to validate or not, you know, it's a different thing. Okay, um, anything else on chapter one?
2: I I loved reading this book after reading Atlantis and this book is so short and it's so very quickly goes from here's the very first word. Okay. Now we're in Narnia, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, you're in Narnia in 10 minutes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I was like reading it and I'm like, okay, like I've probably read 10 pages. I was like, wow, I'm 30% done. <laughs> Great. Kids books.
1: I
2: was even thinking about like the, um, the movie that was redone. Cause it, there's been several different movies, but the most recent, Uh, set of movies that were done by Disney and um, uh, this was they're in Narnia so fast especially when you compare it to the movie yeah the movie's overly long
0: I agree the source material I agree they were like how (laughs) Disney was like how are we going to turn this into a two hour film when it only takes you one hour to read yeah all right so (laughs) chapter two so Lucy she we've and chapter one and she goes into the wardrobe and then she's like oh my gosh what's happening and then she's like oh my god it's winter and so that's where chapter Can two I, picks up yes
2: this there's something else um that i heard um mallory rubin of one of the many ringer podcasts when talking about fantasy stories specifically about harry potter but she referenced uh, the chronicles of narnia in that it is Uh, finding the hidden magical world beneath the the auspices of a normal everyday thing Mm. right like the magic of harry potter is that there's this entire magical society that exists right just under your nose and if only you had the right understanding you could see it also and that the the part of the magic of the chronicles of narnia is You can get to Narnia not by, you know, doing some really complicated thing. You just walk into a certain wardrobe and suddenly you're there, right? It's that process of moving through those coats and suddenly you're among the Douglas fur and the snow and, you know, this random lamppost.
0: I did like how C.S. Lewis kept saying that every time the children went into the wardrobe, they didn't close the door because that was a silly thing to do. And I was thinking of all the children who locked themselves into refrigerators and died playing hide oh, and seek. Yeah. And I was like, all right. I
1: was, I was, I was thinking, man, his, his wife or mother must have read a, a like a draft of it said you have to put a warning in here for children because they're going to try and you know, go to an argument <laughs> of a wardrobe.
2: I, I learned that you like, shouldn't oh, shut the yeah. door based on reading this book. I was like, oh, that's that's how it is for kids. That's it. <laughs>
0: Okay, so chapter two. So now Lucy has met the faun named Mr. Tumnus, who is overly friendly, and he invites her over to his cave for tea and crumpets. Little does Lucy know Mr. Tumnus is not as kind as he appears. And we find out at the end that Mr. Tumnus is one of the White Witch's minions, and everyone has been looking for a daughter of Eve or a son of Adam. And so when Mr. Tumnus finds out that Lucy is a daughter of Eve, he brings her back to his home and he's trying to lure her to sleep so that he can turn her over to the White Witch. But Lucy's so nice and they have such a good time, he decides to sneak her out and go back, get her back to her home.
1: Was he actually a a minion for the White Witch? Or wasn't he just more of like a... Everyone knows that if you find a daughter of Eve or son of Adam that you can go call the White Witch and say, you know, we're over here.
2: It's implied that he was under her pay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he's... I think
2: it's implied.
0: He says, I'm a bad fawn. I don't suppose there's ever been a worse fawn since the beginning of the world. And then he's like, my father would never do something that I've done. I'm in pay of the White Witch, he says. Yeah.
2: Okay, it's not implied. It's stated.
0: Yeah. Um, and then we find out that it's always winter and never Christmas.
2: This makes this a Christmas book. The always winter, never Christmas is such a like central theme to the book.
0: Do you think that's because the only good thing about winter is Christmas?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why they have the song Bleak Midwinter. Cause Christmas is over and you got nothing left.
0: Yeah, that's it. I will say, as I was reading this as an adult, and Mister Tumnus, who is this grown adult, and he's like, "Come back to my cave. Like we can have some snacks." I was like, "Don't go, Lucy. <laughs> that's the White Man. <laughs> Don't go in there." <laughs> it felt very sinister.
2: It was sinister. It turned out. Yeah. No, but it also becomes like a almost like a spy thriller.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
2: like when they go there, it's like everything's it's very, um, you know, like uh, Hansel and Gretel going into a house made of candy. But then once you have that turn and he reveals, actually, I'm not going to send you to the White Witch, but I was working for her. uh, Then it's like, okay, we need to watch out because the trees are working for her. Right. Yeah. And then it becomes this almost like horror thriller of how do we escape?
0: Yes. And that's a really good point because in a short chapter later, Lucy comes back and she forgets that they were hiding from the white witch and she runs right back to his home. Um, which we'll get to She's soon. She's a child. I guess that's true. Okay. Chapter yeah. three. So now Lucy has escaped from Narnia and she leaves the wardrobe to tell her siblings all about the magical land and the evil fawn. Just kidding. She loved him. The nice fawn. Susan and Peter are concerned for Lucy's mental health, but Edmund mocks her relentlessly. Edmund is surprised to find out that his mental health, too, is in crisis when he follows Lucy into the wardrobe and ends up in Narnia. Edmund gets separated from Lucy, and he meets the White Witch.
2: Also, it's amazing how fast the plot moves in this book. I mean, like,
0: (laughs) it's just a much shorter
2: book, but, like, after doing Atlantris, it's just like, boom. Next chapter. Edmund's here.
0: I know. It's just plot, 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 plot.
2: Um, what do you want to talk about first?
0: Go for it. I didn't have anything in Uh, particular.
2: I I think that Edmund, meaning the White Witch, is, this is the, one of the, the longest, uh, conversations we see with the White Witch, right, in the book. This is one of the main sections, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we really get introduced to part of her, you know, titular character. Um, But also there's this element of what we as the reader know from uh, Tumnus and Lucy. And then what you know of Edmund and then her. And there's, I don't know, like there's also this uh, candy treat called Turkish Delight that when Lewis wrote this and, Nineteen fifty, I'm sure was popular enough, but I've never really had uh and always made me want to try Turkish Delight because it seemed like Edmund had just like the greatest time ever.
0: Well, so the Turkish Delight is actually the next chapter. So in this one, he Oh, is that the next that's th- the next one? So he's just oops. That's okay. It's spoiler. This whole book is a spoiler. Yeah, this
1: conversation goes <laughs> on so long. This conversation goes on so long, it's actually two correct. So, it doesn't <laughs> this,
2: how does this chapter end? Is it just with him meeting the witch and the conversation happens next chapter?
0: Yeah. So he just meets her.
2: Okay. Okay. I I, I was jumping the gun.
0: Yeah. You're jumping the gun, but don't worry. Um, So Edwin sees her and he's like, she's quite sinister looking, but also beautiful, also sinister. And he feels very weird about it. And so that's pretty much where the chapter ends. Um, There's not a whole lot to say there. I think um, other than what we've already discussed, but chapter four is when it picks up with the conversation. And so the summary for that is that the white witch gets Edmund to agree to sell out his siblings for, I called them donuts and the promise of being King. Yeah. Which yeah. same. And then, then after Edmund sells his soul, he meets up with Lucy who was spending all her time at Mr. Tumnus's house, making sure he wasn't getting caught for letting her go the last time. Yep. <laughs> she goes straight there. She said, Did you caught did you get caught? He's like, No. She's like, Oh, thank God, let's have another tea.
2: <laughs> she is British. I, I hear they're they're into that tea.
0: I, I was just like, that doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. And I get that she's a kid, but it's like Mr. Tummy should have been like, get out of here, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Yeah. What is she, gonna she doesn't
1: she doesn't know anything else in this world.
0: I don't know why she was so delighted to get back because it's like, she went there and he was like, there's this evil witch and she's out to get you. Like the trees are listening. But, But think
2: about it. She went one time. It could have felt very dreamlike for her. It could have felt like she was having a delusion, especially since none of her siblings believed her. Yeah. But getting back, not only proved that it was, it was true and real, But her most vocal uh, opponent in Edmund is also here now.
0: That's true. That's true. So, I mean, I guess I could see, like, the desire to go confirm, like, am I making it up? What's happening? Is this real? But at the same time, I mean, there is, like, a level of, like, this is craziness. But that's okay, children. sure,
1: Lucy... Lucy's like six or seven years old. In this, right? I don't know. She's young. Time. She's right.
0: young. Yeah. Probably like six or seven.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think that makes sense. She went to a place. She had a good time. She got to dance to some music, take a nap, you know, So like, I how old's again. Remy? Seven? Eight.
0: Uh, eight. Yeah. I feel like she would do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Was, Jojo, it was, it yeah,
1: Jojo matter. for sure. It doesn't matter. She Jojo's six. And uh yeah, if she went to a place and had a good time, and then at the end, they're like, We can't ever do this again because someone's out to get you. She that she wouldn't <laughs> even remember that.
2: The danger's too abstract. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's too abstract. Yep.
0: That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Okay. Um, so Edmund, he's like looking at her and she's like the evil witch and he's like oh she looks evil but then all of a sudden when she finds out that he's a son of Adam she like totally changes her demeanor she's like oh my gosh you look so cold why don't you come in here and he's like I don't know if I should but then he gets bundled up and she tucks him in and he feels like delighted and then she creates this thing of Turkish delights And I guess they're like laced in cocaine because he eats, the book says, several pounds of them. (laughs) Several pounds of Turkish Delights. And he said as he ate them, all he did was want more. (laughs) (laughs) And she gives him some hot cocoa. And then he's like, all right, she's not that bad anymore. He's like, she's actually pretty good. And then...
1: Well yeah, think about it too. So he's got he's got this little sister, right? That he I don't know, they obviously butt heads, right? They they always want to prove Mm -hmm. each other wrong. And his sister told him, Oh, this is a bad witch. And he wants to prove her right of oh no, this is a really good witch.
0: That's a good point. I did not think of it like like that. Because Edmund, he is the type where it's like he he's a little spiteful. So just to prove oh, someone more wrong. Than a little. Yeah.
2: He's very mean spirited. Like the reason he went into the wardrobe was to like make fun of Lucy. Yeah. I think you know, there the other element with like you talking about him eating it, you can start talking about like different allegorical elements, right? But this idea that no matter how much Turkish delight he eats, it's he's never satisfied. Mm-hmm. It never fills. There is um, a bigger. I would say this is a theme throughout how Lewis writes, but that things that are true are real, solid, concrete, mm-hmm. and and things that are false are shadows. Mm. Um, they they are small. So he wrote this one book called The Great Divorce which is about um, a group of people who are at the the doorway of hell and they get to take a vacation to the doorway of heaven. And it turns out that hell exists inside of a tiny speck on one blade of grass, you know, in the doorway of heaven. It's, it's so, like, not even real, mm-hmm. right? And the people are so um, shadowy that when they come and stand and they become bigger, right, um so that they're the right size uh instead of just being inside of a tiny speck that the blades of grass shoot through their feet like like knives oh because the the grass is so much more real than yeah. they are and so like in this continuum of heaven earth hell like heaven is even more real and concrete and solid than earth mm and so like if you take this into like different foods right the the food that they eat with the beavers that's a, another big meal that's so much more satisfying and delicious than what the turkish delights are because they're wispy they're wafty they're it's it's not really there so jordan's now left the podcast but
0: uh, um, but hopefully our th- listeners have not yes <laughs> Well, that is interesting um, because you're right with the Turkish delights. It seems that no matter because it even says that they were magic and that no matter how many you ate, you would never get full and you could eat exactly a million of them and you would still be hungry. Uh, and Edmund falls for it. Hook, line and sinker. Easy. peasy. Yeah. But the line that the witch convinces Edmund to sell out his brother and sister i thought was very funny so she says she basically says i want a nice boy whom i could bring up as a prince and who would be king of narnia when i'm gone while he was prince he would wear a gold crown and eat turkish delight all day long and you are much the cleverest and handsomest young man i've ever met i think i would like you to make you the prince um, and I, I just thought that was so funny because like if you wanted me to mm-hmm. be your minion, feed me snacks and tell me that I'm the prettiest, most cleverest <laughs> person that you've ever met, and I'll do whatever you want. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is this is when like alarm bells should go off. Like, I just met her and I'm like the the sweetest, most cleverest person you've ever met, right? Like,
0: I know and th- c.s lewis even makes fun of edmund because it's like it says that he did not look the cleverest or handsomest he's ever looked because he was covered in just turkish delight (laughs) just his belly swollen from eating pounds (laughs) of this dessert and then the queen's like oh you need to bring your siblings here and then edmund says there's nothing special about them and i just thought that was yeah really funny how edmund so much wants to be like the number one and you can see how he's riddled with jealousy and he's probably frustrated that he has to share or whatever it is he has a lot of that going on he's got
2: some 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 heavy middle child syndrome going on
0: and i think again (laughs) how do you
2: how do you relate to this
0: you know that's why it's like everything (laughs) Edwin's doing i'm like same same my friend same But you know that the queen is very, very evil because she's basically telling Edmund how to lure his siblings back into Narnia. And she says, after she tells him the strategy, she says, by the way, don't tell them about me. It would be fun to keep it a secret between us two, wouldn't it? Make it a surprise for them. Just bring them up along the hill. A clever boy like you will easily think of some excuse for doing that. And then she goes on and on and on. And something andrew and i were talking about is how some parents something that they'll tell their kids is like we don't keep secrets in our family because yeah because whenever yeah. an adult is trying to be bad to children they always say let's keep a secret and then the child right. gets really excited about it because like oh like mm-hmm. i have like a little secret and then then it turns out to be a horrible thing and they don't know what to do with it
2: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The other th- do you re- did you read the whole set, right? The whole series?
0: No, I didn't. Chronicles.
2: You've never Which ones have you read?
0: I read um The Line the Witch in the Wardrobe. I read Uh-huh. The Nephew, the first one. Okay. And I think that's it.
2: So the magician's nephew is like the whole like um like what happened how did we get to um narnia yeah right and you realize that um that the white witch isn't even from narnia right she's from another world which is also different than the earth world Mm -hmm. and that she's been alive since the foundation of the world
1: Mm -hmm. right
2: because she ate the golden apple and has essentially like eternal life Mm -hmm. and so also like her promise of like when i'm done being queen she'll never done be done being queen
0: oh interesting
2: both both in desire and in like literal fact
0: that's so interesting because i anna and i have incurred encountered this in our professional lives where Yep. If you work for a business owner and they say, when I'm done with the yep. business, I'll give it to you. Yep. And they're never done. Nope. And it's an easy promise to make because they know that they <laughs> you'll never be able to cash in.
2: Exactly. And, and the other side of it too is like, I mean, we see this, this is maybe more, most famously happening at Disney right now, but like Bob Iger uh, for all the good things he's done as CEO, the worst thing he's done is been training up somebody to replace him. Yeah. And I think part of that is he doesn't want to be replaced. No. Right. Like it's nice to say in practice, but when it comes down to actually turning over real power to someone else, um, of not being in the room where it happens, um, that, that is so much harder, um, to take yourself out of the game.
0: Christy and I talk a lot about that in lessons in chemistry, um, especially like with like the dichotomy between men and women and how they're being treated and stuff. And something that I said there, and I'll repeat here is that when you have power, whatever it is, if you have privilege, Mm -hmm. whatever you have, you work very hard to make sure that you keep that. Yeah. And that's just human instinct. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that instinct, if it goes unchecked, is at the detriment of a lot of other people.
2: Mm. Yeah. So,
0: exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really important themes going on in this in this chapter, particularly. So you have adults wanting children to keep secrets. You, yep. you know, which they're doing to harm them. You have children who are struggling with their own like inner turmoil and not knowing how to verbalize that and how to articulate Mm -hmm. that you have um the component that you were talking about where you're eating something that's not real i don't know how to describe that in a good way but how it just never really sates you and you're just forever hungry yeah (laughs) that's how i feel playing um stardew valley Mm. I will literally get dopamine hangovers because there's just not enough Stardew Valley that I can play mm. that will <laughs> mm-hmm. make me feel like mm-hmm. I've accomplished enough because there's always something else to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, there's
2: no, there's no end goal, right? Like, yeah, there's no, it, there's this one game I like playing called Outlanders. I've been playing it again because they released a new set of levels. Mm hmm. And it's basically, it's kind of like, it's a resource village sim, right? But every time you play it, unless you're doing sandbox, um, there is a specific objective. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: then there's the main objective, and then there's an optional objective. And I enjoy it, but one of the things I enjoy about it is that the levels are contained, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it just doesn't, you could play sandbox, and hypothetically, you could play it forever, right? But at least with the levels, like you're working towards a goal and then you've accomplished the goal and then you're done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and then what I enjoy is the strategy of especially the harder levels. Like um, usually doing the main objective isn't crazy hard. Mm-hmm. But doing the main objective along with the optional objective can sometimes be extremely difficult. Especially the first time you play it because you're like, well, I think I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. and then you do it and you're like oh i completely failed i'm gonna have to redo it
0: Mm. Mm -mm -mm. yeah i i could go on a very long tangent i'm playing tears of the kingdom right now but we won't go there because Mm -hmm. we are committed to doing this in three episodes so we are going to blast through chapter three so after Edmund leaves the White Witch, he meets up with Lucy and she's like, The White Witch is evil. And he's like, Oh, who told you that? And she's like, The fawn. And Edmund's kind of spinning his wheels because he's like, I, he's kind of half on her side, but he also still really likes her. And he likes the idea of being prince and the most specialist one.
2: Well, and I think there's also, I mean, this book was written in 1950. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the idea that her being a witch, witch is bad, right? Right. Like, there's not a positive connotation to being a witch. Right. Like, we don't have Harry Potter. There's a whole different conversation to be had about our family life growing up and how I used um, the Chronicles of Narnia to, like, make a case for why I should be able to read Harry (laughs) Potter. (laughs) You, You know, but, like... The, the there's no positive being a witch is a bad thing right Agreed. Like the witches are the villains in classic fairy tale stories
0: yes yes
2: it's fairy godmothers right like you can have be a good magical entity but witch is always bad
0: yes yes yeah, so edmund and lucy link up and he's like sorry i guess you were right about narnia she's like it's okay he's like we're going to tell all the siblings um how great it is and she's like great and then Edmund, she's like, you look bad, Edmund. Are you okay? And he's like, I'm all right. But the book says this was not true. He was feeling very sick because he had eaten several pounds of Turkish delight. And so now he's coming down (laughs) off of his sugar hangover and he feels terrible. Yeah. So now we are in chapter five and I think this is the last one that we'll get to. So Edmund in the end of chapter four apologizes to Lucy for mocking her. And he says that we're going to tell the eldest what's going on except as soon as he gets out of the wardrobe he renegs and he pretends he's never heard of narnia and then he continues to pretend that lucy is loopy
2: i know this was one of the the meanest things he does in the book i mean like going to betray his siblings is perhaps the most evil thing he does Mm -hmm. right but this is just like 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 and the stakes are really low right yeah But it's so mean what he does.
0: It is so mean. And it says, Edmund, who is becoming nastier person by the minute, thought that he had scored a great success and went on at once to say, there she goes again. What's the matter with her? That's the worst of young kids. They're always. And then Peter interrupts him and he's just like, you are a worm. Um, Yes. And I I think that really. Oh, go for it.
2: I was just going to say from Peter and Susan's view. He's been playing along with Lucy. Right. Right. He's playing into her delusion, her fairy tale, her make believe. And now he's turning on her. Mm-hmm. So that's what they see. Right. Um.
0: Yeah. And I think I think what Edmund was trying to do is he was trying to seem cool to Peter and yeah. Susan. And he was trying to be like, oh, she's little kid. That's little kid stuff. I'm like a big kid. Like I can hang with you yeah. guys. And I think that's one yeah. of the hard parts when you're the middle child like that is that mm-hmm. you're not in the older group, but you don't want to be in the younger group mm-hmm. because that's the yep. babies. And so I I could just see myself doing something like that when I was a kid.
2: Yeah. Do you think I've always interpreted this action of his as him trying to, and maybe it's in the actual book and I'm just not remembering the passage, but he's trying to make Lucy look bad. In part, so that he can get his siblings to the white witch, right? Because if they accept Lucy's understanding of the world, they're going to see her as bad. He can't get them to her place and he can't be king. Or do you think that's too much like strategy and, and foresight?
0: I think it's for too him much
2: in this moment. So,
0: having just read the book, I think that's too much strategy and foresight. And he he said at the end of the previous chapter that he was only halfway on the witch's side. So he was kind of teetering. So I don't know that he was in full like master plan. And once they all get into Narnia, his, he has zero plan. It's actually really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Proving that he was not the cleverest boy that the white witch had ever met. No,
1: no.
2: (laughs) A bit dumb.
0: A bit dumb. Um, But Peter and Susan, they are now very concerned about Lucy because now Mm -hmm. it's it's getting to a point where they're like, all right, we got to get the elders involved. So they go meet up with the professor and Mm -hmm. they have the conversation that we had earlier. Basically, they're like, we think Lucy's in delusion. And the professor just kind of walks through the logic and he's like, has she ever lied Mm -hmm. before? And they said, no, she's very, very truthful. So then he gives the three points. Either she's lying or she's telling the truth or she's gone mad. And he's like, it doesn't seem right. like she's gone mad and she's not a liar. Yeah. Therefore. Right. It should be. True. This is
2: one of Lewis's um, regular. Wh- what do you call it when you beat a dead horse? Uh, um, hatchet um, hobby horse. There's other other. I forget like the different kind of idioms we have for you know, when you're tackling a pet subject, mm-hmm. but Lewis is always going against um, the, the modern school system. Uh It shows up all the time in both in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's always saying like, what do they teach them in these schools? Right? Yes. Like, that's
0: what he says.
2: Lewis has extremely strong opinions about education and the educational system. Mm-hmm. And he will have already have written the space trilogy um, by now, mm. um, which is a different fantasy, more, more sci-fi series. And the last book is in part uh, a strong takedown and narrative form of modern education um, at all levels, but especially at the collegiate level. And then he wrote uh, an entire book that is um, kind of a, takedown of the education system called the abolition of man mm. so lewis the, just when you you won't you wouldn't you know if you if you're only reading the chronicles of narnia you wouldn't know that but right. like as like a reoccurring motif it shows up in multiple of the um uh books especially uh voyage of the Don treader and in The Silver Chair, mm. especially The Silver Chair, because Eustace is, um, you didn't read those books, mm-hmm.
1: right?
2: So the Pevensies have a cousin, Eustace Scrub. He is like fully um, into that whole school system, mm-hmm. like the elites, the prigs, all that. And then, so he has an experience in Narnia, and he's pretty... of terrible person but then he has this kind of conversion experience um halfway through the book he comes back he's completely changed and then the next book the silver chair is um he's making friends with this girl and they're on the run from some bullies at the school and then the end of the book when they come back aslan roars at the kids from like beyond the the door that transported them to Narnia mm-hmm. and and like scared all of them again just like this is a reoccurring motif throughout C.S. Lewis his uh dislike of the educational system in London uh, at this time
0: well we can definitely tell that C.S. Lewis is the professor and yeah in lessons in chemistry Christy calls it Bonnie Garmouth popping out and in that book it's not as well it's not as cleverly done because it literally see, you see the characters and they're one way. And then all of a sudden they go into this monologue that really doesn't fit in with what they were saying before. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, there's Bonnie Garmus coming out, saying her propaganda. Um, So that was definitely CS Lewis as the professor. And one of the things that I thought was so funny and I was like, I would probably like CS Lewis had I met him. Mm -hmm. He says, So Susan says, like, what are we to do? Like, if we're to believe her, like, this is like kind of crazy. She's like, we're getting off topic. Yes. And he says, (laughs) which I thought was so funny. (laughs) I'm like, Susan is so reasonable. (laughs) As an adult, I think I'm a mix between Susan and Edmund. As a kid, Uh 100% Edmund. Okay. But this is the line that I thought was so funny. So the professor says, my dear young lady, said the professor, suddenly looking up with a very sharp expression at both of them. There is one plan which no one has yet suggested and which is well worth trying. What's that? Said Susan. We might all try minding our own business. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: a great line. I
0: know. (laughs) I was like, you're right. Although it's like, while true it's like susan and peter really are the stewards and the parents of edmund and lucy right now and so minding their own business really isn't an option
2: like yes and no right like do um for the professor now again you don't know this when you're reading it and i don't even know if this was in lewis's mind when he wrote it because he didn't write the magician's nephew and until five years later Mm -hmm. um but the professor has already been to Narnia. Yes. Right? And not only has he already been to Narnia, but the wood that made that wardrobe came from one of the golden apples that were from Narnia, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, for him here, like, it's not the most outlandish thing. Mm-hmm. But again, it's this logical deduction, um, which is another kind of major element for Lewis is using logic
0: i would say as a recovering black and white person like either a or b i would say that you can get yourself in a lot of sticky situations if mm-hmm. if you're saying everything fits into a box and it's either it's either this or it's this or it's that and those are the only options mm-hmm. Uh, So I I see what you're saying. And I hear that in terms of like the logic and like thinking through and flowing through it. And I think there's something really appealing to that. I also think like with anything, if it's not in moderation, you can go too far. And you can start boxing everything and you lose the nuance.
2: Totally. But I think. There are, I think, there are definitely certain things in terms of simple statements. Mm-hmm. Lucy says, I've been to Narnia. Right. Right. And she's either, she either believes that she has and she didn't, in which case she's delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, she's saying it, but she didn't, and she knows she didn't, and she's lying. Right. Right. Or she actually did. And, and so I'm, I'm very much in the gray for a lot of things, but there are definitely simple statements that. Yes do fit into categories yes
0: no certainly certainly and i I really liked that logicing that he did and i thought it was a really nice demonstration
2: especially like when he, they're talking to him about edmund and he's like oh edmund's the really truthful child and they're like well
0: <laughs> i think that would be the first time <laughs> <laughs> they're like yeah he's actually a known liar um which is so crazy he just seems right? like he's just always been just a chip on his shoulder. It makes me really curious yeah. what made Edmund that way. Sure. Because I don't think yeah. people are just born little jerks, you know? No, I'm
2: I'm sure there's probably a whole bunch of elements that go into it.
0: Yes. Well, the second half of this chapter, so this is one of the longer chapters. Um, so after... Edmund, or not Edmund, Peter and Susan leave the professor's house. They're like, we're going to avoid the wardrobe and we're just going to ignore it. And everything goes on fine for a little bit. But then McCrady, the housekeeper, she told them, sometimes I'm going to be showing people around the house and I need you to stay out of sight when that happens. And yeah. a line I pulled out was, Mrs. McCrady was not fond of children and did not like to be interrupted when she was telling visitors all the things she knew. And she had said to Susan and Peter almost on the first morning, please remember you keep out of the way of the house whenever I'm taking a party around. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I too do not like to be interrupted. And so I really, (laughs) I really felt for Mrs. McCready in that moment where I'm like, yeah, if I'm giving my chores and telling people all the things I know, I cannot have little children interrupting me. Yeah. So the children hear her coming and They say it's almost like magic because everywhere they go, they hear her coming and it's like the house is directing them into the wardrobe until they're like little mice and there is nowhere else for them to go.
2: Yes. This is, this is again uh, another theme and motif that comes out throughout the Chronicles. But um, if you understand that the magic of entering Narnia is that the invitation of aslan mm. and not in some magical way of forcing his um the aslan's hand or or some magical incantation right aslan is calling them into narnia in this moment right and he is using macready to make that happen oh. and and this this i i would argue is a constant way that is happening um in most of the books, right? And
0: that would make a lot of sense because it does seem like finicky when the wardrobe lets you go in versus when it doesn't. Yes. It's quite curious if that's the case, why Aslan would encourage Edmund to go when he did because he ended up Mm -hmm. meeting the White Witch. Sure. So that might be something to think about next time, but... We are going to wrap up today's session. So we're about a third of the way through the book. So I think we did pretty good.
2: How does the book end with them all going into the wardrobe? Is that how the chapter ends?
0: Um, it ends with them going into the wardrobe, but they have not fallen into Narnia yet. Okay. It ends with um, Peter held the door closed, but did not shut it for of course he remembered as every sensible person does that you should never never shut yourself up in a wardrobe that's how the chapter ends
2: (laughs) is all of this just another way to make fun of edmund Like (laughs) edmund's a real dufus here
0: oh my gosh i know i know that's probably why he's so jealous okay well this is a good read i love all of the extra color and flavor that you're giving this book because i wouldn't know 90% of everything that's going on in the background and I think that makes books very interesting especially children's books which can feel a little light Mm -hmm. when you know like the bigger cosmere of what's happening around it it can give it yeah you know like I said more color
2: well and I think yeah I I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis and I've read about C.S. Lewis and um there's also an element with McCready where she's not friendly with the kids.
0: No, she's and mean.
2: there that that is a biographical element also of Lewis's life, that he had a very difficult childhood. Yes. Um, right? Not not Oliver Twist difficult, but very little love.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um and so that that kind of austere, you know, children should not be maybe seen but not heard, kind of idea. Very feels very true to what I've read about his childhood.
0: And that would make sense too. Cause I was like, why are these kids being so crazy? Just like walk by her and don't say anything. But if you Mm -hmm. have like that really intense fear of adults and you don't want to be chastised or beat or whatever the consequences are, maybe you would go to great lengths to make sure that you scurry away.
2: Right. Especially if she doesn't even want to see you. Yeah. Like- if you see McCready as an abusive figure in, inside the uh the Kirk household, right. right? Like this is this is 1950, man. Like corporal punishment was a thing.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm
2: I mean it's still a thing now, but I mean, you know, you, you hear mom and dad talk about I think dad got spanked in school.
0: That's so crazy. In school. Right. <laughs> in school <laughs> how embarrassing
2: but this is that's i mean that's the sort of thing i i would think that yeah McCready does not want to see you and you do not want to be seen by McCready.
0: dad also slept in a crib until he was like seven
2: well that's a different problem <laughs> that's a that's more of an oliver twist problem
0: but I have some also please sir can i have a bed <laughs> <laughs> my feet are dangling no. off the end
2: <laughs>
0: uh. all right well this has been great we'll meet up again hopefully in a week and then i think we can knock this out in three episodes easy peasy let's do it okay love you later thanks for listening to this episode of bookalicious If you like this discussion, please rate or subscribe to our channel to help other book lovers find this content as well. If you have any questions or suggestions for future books, we'd love to hear from you at bookalicious.pod at gmail.com. As always, thanks for joining our club.